Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories. I'm your host, Jim Daduchu, and on this podcast we take a piece of pop culture and we reveal how just underneath the surface it is influenced by real history. And this time round we're looking at Dungeons and Dragons. So it's all come down to this, a dungeon and dragons. Which means, of course, we're going to be talking about eight-sided dice. We're also going to be talking about bothered about Dungeons and Dragons. But more interestingly, we're going to go back. We're going to go back to the witch hunts and witch trials of the 17th and 18th centuries. We have found the witch. Might we burn? We're going to be looking at heretics in the Middle Ages. And all of this is going to be wrapped up with one word. Hysteria. Let's get into the world of Dungeons and Dragons, shall we? But just before we do, it's always worth saying, please subscribe to whatever app you're listening to. Click the download option. It all helps to spread the word. Thank you very much. So I have partly been involved in this hysteria, as it were, and was somewhat oblivious to it. So let's take our minds back, shall we, to the 1970s, and we've got Gary Gygax, who created famously Dungeons and Dragons. What is it? If you're unfamiliar with it, it's a role-playing game. And, and if you like, one of the genius things that Gary Gygax did is he invented a whole new game. Dungeons and Dragons! A whole new genre of games. What do I mean by that? Well, if you go way, way back, there have been some forms of board game all the way back into sort of like ancient Babylonian times. We have examples of that. So rolling dice, moving pieces around, chess is over a millennia old. There are variations of these sorts of moving pieces around. I've played something called Awari in Ghana. Then there's the nine-piece chess set moving, sliding around thing of the Vikings. There are lots of different types of board games. Human beings like playing games, but invariably involves counters and things like that. I'm, I'm talking about sitting at home playing a game, obviously other games, ball games, for example, physical sport, that's something different. And again, goes back thousands of years. We just like competing. Some of us are a little bit lazier and like to sit down doing it, okay? But something else that sort of evolved, particularly in the 19th century onwards, is the idea of tabletop warfare, where you might 
literally get dozens of little painted lead miniatures and they're all sort of like dressed in Napoleonic uniforms and you would reenact things like the Battle of Waterloo or Austerlitz or something like that and that was hugely popular with children and some adults particularly in the 20th century. You would invariably have rules with these things, roll dice, you know, where do you hit or do you miss? It was invariably done on a dice roll, something like that and there were medieval versions, like I said there were Napoleonic versions, over the years you had World War One and World War Two versions as well, so, so pretty much any time there was a major event, US Civil War, etc, there was usually some company creating some kind of game where you could have the cavalry arrive for the Hundred Years War or the Bowman or something like that, and there would be a rule book with it, quite often this stuff was mail order, there were some shops that sold it, and what Gary Gygax did is he liked the sort of fantastical bit and obviously he was very heavily influenced by Lord of the Rings but he thought well, why don't we why don't we turn it into a story you know rather than just having a table full of figures where each figure is just a part of a mass part of an army why don't we home in on the actual individuals and so he came up with this idea of character creation got my helm of lordly might my boots of speed and if things get too exciting my inhaler of asthma and you know you could play dungeons and dragons without any figures whatsoever because it was all in your mind and this is where we get a little bit weird most games be it chess or be it tennis or, or whatever is invariably either between one team or another or one person another but what he created was a third person which because it was called Dungeons and Dragons they were called the Dungeon Master so you'd have a group of people sitting in front of you who have rolled dice to create a character and different character types were good at certain things if you were a warrior guess what you're good at the hand-to-hand -hand combat. If you were a ranger, you were good at firing a bow and arrow, so you would have been stood away from the battle, shooting into it. Obviously, you could be a wizard. You're a wizard, Harry. In which case, rubbish at hand-to-hand -hand combat, and invariably there were rules saying, can't wear armor if you're a wizard. The metal sort of affects your magic skills, so you are very vulnerable, but you stop people getting anywhere near you by casting spells, which again, you do by rolling dice. You know, roll a three to fire a fireball. If you roll a two, nope, didn't happen sucks to be you kind of thing okay you run into a room full of weapons hit a tripwire a cannon blows your face off you bow you're out of the game but the dungeon master was the one who had the map and who had the list of where all the monsters were and so on and so forth so that individual would describe to the rest of the group right you walk into the forest you you see a crudely carved doorway on the side of a great oak tree do you go in it or do you go past it that kind of thing. Once you're into the oak tree dungeon mystical place of the dark elves, then you've got to fight your way through there and get some treasure and get all that good stuff. And obviously the more you use, I say obviously, I've got to watch myself. This was kind of revolutionary for the time because no matter how many times you play chess, chess is always the same. There's your skill and strategy, please don't get me wrong on that one. But the more you use, let's say, rooks, they don't get better. Whereas with this one, the more you do your stuff as a wizard or you know, warrior or whatever, the better you get. So you, you start as level one and maybe you end up as level 50, in which case you started off with one lousy spell and now you've got all the spells kind of thing. And obviously as you get stronger and can cause more damage with a sword swing and that kind of stuff, then you need tougher monsters to fight as well because those goblins just aren't a challenge anymore. So you get bigger and bigger things, stuff like dragons, for example. 
So it was a revolutionary game in many, many ways and very rapidly became a monster hit. And it is worth pointing out that it became a huge bestseller and it wasn't being advertised on TV yet. It wasn't being sort of like sold in all the shops yet. It was all done through sort of mail order. It was all going through word of mouth and at hobby events and things like that. And just with a couple of rule books and a few dice, what they realized is a six-sided dice is rather limited. There are only six combinations. And so by using the basic rules of geometry, the smallest amount of 3D shape that you could do is a four-sided dice. So a four-sided dice, you chuck it, and so you could do a one to four, then there's the one to six, a one to eight, then there's the 10-sided dice, the 20-sided dice. And if you use two tens, well, then you can turn it into percentages. Let's say the yellow dice is always the tens and the red dice is always the units. Then if you rolled a yellow three and a red two, you just roll 32. Do you see what I mean? And obviously if you rolled a zero on the yellow and a zero on the red, then probably something's horrible happened because you shouldn't really be getting double zero. So you probably your character's going to fall over and maybe impale himself on the sword or something like that. So this was using loads of imagination. And it was a great way that you and your friends could sort of gather together and, and just sort of have a laugh and eat an awful lot of crisps or chips and drink soft drinks and just have a laugh. And really... It was that and some of the tabletop fantasy stuff, which me and my friends did during our teenage years. I was not Mr. Athletic and therefore every lunchtime we would crack out the rule books and I was the dungeon master. And the interesting thing about it is over the years, it spawned into loads of different ones. I quite like playing Merp, Middle Earth role playing. So, yes, we're literally into the realms of Isengard and Sauron and all that kind of stuff. One ring. And obviously they could use all the intellectual properties of the Lord of the Rings. I quite like that. But, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, there's no doubt it was heavily influenced by that back in the day, but has evolved into its own things with things like the Dragonlance Chronicles. See, I'm dropping this stuff to show I know what I'm talking about, okay? However, some people got really upset about this. And... So there was an organization called BAD, B-A-D-D, -D, bothered about D&D. &D. Now, I'm not going to start naming names because it's a very sad story. A mother, this is the, you know, as a parent myself, this is the worst thing that could ever happen. This mother was sent into the depths of despair when her son committed suicide, which is absolutely terrible, and absolutely horrible. And at which point I, I absolutely get that at that point, you want answers. How did this happen? How did I let my child down? If I could turn back time, what could I do? And this, you know, I'm going to deliberately not use names, but this, this child had a number of issues and difficulties, seems to be sort of like a depressant as well, and had a number of different pastimes. But one of them was Dungeons and Dragons and for reasons best known to the mother, she decided that that was absolutely the cause and created this organization bothered about Dungeons and Dragons. And she just became more and more hysterical, there's the word, about this game. And I've watched some of the footage from the 1980s and she started to equate it with Satanism, which got the attention of the sort of Baptist ministers and fundamentalist Christian organizations in America, where they started to, because one of the things wizards can do is you can roll dice to summon something to help you out. Let's say like a fire elemental, which can keep back the baddies and things like that. It's basically a spell, but you're now using the term summoning. Okay. And 
There are people who think that you can summon demons, summon spirits. And I have watched, and I'm not kidding with kidding you with this, there is literally a pastor on TV being interviewed about this and talking about its genuine dangers to people's souls. Dungeons and Dragons has been called the most effective introduction to the occult in the history of man. And saying, I've seen people summon demons. Now, I don't know whether he's being deliberately disingenuous or whether he's just picked this up from somebody else, but I have summoned creatures from the other world, if you like, with these roleplay games. And do you know what you do? You roll dice. I'm not praying to anything. It's got nothing to do with religion. I am basically rolling dice to fix a problem. That's what's happening. The only time you would summon stuff in a roleplay game is because there's something big coming at you and you roll dice and you stop that thing coming at you. There is no religious connotations in this. It does not mean I have sold my soul to Satan or anything like that. And yet the way the man has said it, it's as if people are sort of like sitting in a pentagram, you know, with candles at each point, wearing black hoods, sacrificing a chicken or something like that. It sounds like that. That is not part of Dungeons and Dragons. But because this was before the era of the Internet, because people who could get onto TV had like a monopoly of getting people's attention, this became a big movement. And by the mid-1980s, there was this voice of very loud opposition, and there were millions of people who thoroughly enjoyed it. There was a huge animated TV shows called Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeon Master, wait. How do we get to the dragon's graveyard? And it was mine and my sister's favourite animated show from the 1980s. It was great. And we, we didn't like how kidsy it was. But <laughs> what I mean by that is you had the barbarian. Basically, all the kids still look like kids. If, you, if you're not aware of the animated series, so I'll take a step back. Okay, so there's these bunch of kids who get onto a ride. Oh, it's the Dungeons and Dragons ride. Hey, look! The Dungeons and Dragons ride! at the local fair and they get sucked into the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Now that's kind of, I guess, what you would do in the game. You know, you, for a couple of hours, you pretend to be somebody else. But if I'm playing a barbarian, I'm six foot, look like Arnold Schwarzenegger barbarian. I'm not Barbie, the little blonde haired 10 year old with a magic club. You know, that, that was the bit that was kind of a bit cutesy and stuff like that. But of course, kids animation generally has to be aimed towards kids and so on and so forth. And it, it showed the brilliant five headed dragon Tiamat and the dungeon master was actually a character kind of like Yoda. It was pretty much a ripoff of Yoda, okay? And actually the dungeon master themselves is not a character in the game. They're the one telling the story, as it were. They're the bard at the front of the drinking hall telling this great story, except you can interact with the story. That, if you like, is the beauty of Dungeons and Dragons. You make your own adventures. The hysteria got so much that the animated series Dungeons and Dragons ran for two series and then got dropped. 
Now, admittedly, you know, animated series in the 1980s, they didn't necessarily have the longest shelf life, but it does mean that pretty much each episode, the kids were always trying to find a way back home to real world. And there were some times where they had tantalizing glances of it, but then they had to make us like a sacrifice, not in the chicken sense, but in the sense of, if we go, we're back home. But if we go, that person we've been trying to protect is about to get eaten by a dragon. So uh, we're going to not have to go home on this occasion. We'll protect the person from the dragon you know teaching kids a little bit of morals okay and yet because it was cancelled these children never made it home now the writers did actually release an episode an uncreated episode but the whole script of an episode where they do go home so if you want to go online you can actually find that script and yes everybody gets to go home yay but mine and my sister's favorite was the cavalier called eric who was an inveterate coward but had a sort of like magic shield but he had quite pithy one-liners his voice was actually the voice of i think ralph the mouth in happy days it was definitely one of the people in happy days are they gone Yes, Cavalier, they are gone. Hey, nice timing. Where were you when we needed an exterminator? Not the Fonz or something like that. I'm pretty sure it's Ralph. You might want to sort of check me on that. Good evening, ladies and germs. How do you like me so far? You're doing great, Mouth. I know, I still got it. It's a glorious bit of 80s nostalgia there from Dungeons & Dragons, the animated series. But what we've got here is hysteria and there's this growing fear of this stuff, if you like. This fantasy stuff is evil and really it wasn't. You know, invariably you were trying to stop the baddies from doing their thing. And yes, you could actually be evil in the game. You could be lawful or neutral or evil. And then sometimes you could be lawful chaotic. And, and you know, there's sort of some weird combinations. But I guess it taught you certain points of view and certain levels of morality. But you also have to be pretty good at maths and probabilities and reading. Lots and lots of reading going on as well. What's he doing? He's reading nerd so it did have lots of benefits that just weren't being talked about instead it was just a feeding frenzy of hysteria and terror and i was on the edges of this because in my teenage years there was a local religious man we're now in west london long way away from the fiery rhetoric of the Baptist ministers of alabama or something like that okay and in our local newspaper the Ealing Gazette, Reverend Saywood, I will never forget his name, he wrote an article about a spin-off of this stuff called the Fighting Fantasy Books, the Choose Your Own Adventure Books, where if you're of my age, and indeed they've, I know they've been re-released, things like Warlock of Far Top Mountain, Death Trap Dungeon, City of Thieves, those sorts of books, do you remember them? And the beauty of those is like, you know, you, you they didn't read like a book. You would, you would read like, you know, first page and it goes, do you want to go left? Turn to page 67. Or do you want to go right? Turn to page 112. And so this was literally choose your own adventure on your own. You had to fight monsters and so on and so forth. And you would eventually beat the warlock on top of Far Top Mountain and so on and so forth. And they were hugely popular. Ian Livingston was one of the people involved in it. Steve Jackson, Ian Livingston, and Ian Livingston went on to invent Tomb Raider. So, you know, the man knows how to create a good game. But the point is, I love these books. And so Reverend Sayward basically picked up on a couple of lines from one of the books and said, sort of isn't this violent? This is what's happening to children. And then started saying, these children are desensitized, corrupted. And I was sitting there going, I really don't feel corrupted. And my mother could tell I was very frustrated about this misreading of it all 
So, with the help of my mother, I wrote a rebuttal and sent it into the Ealing Gazette. At the time, I was at school, in secondary school, and we were reading, in English, the Odyssey. And so I picked the scene where Odysseus and his crew set fire to a burning log and shove it into the eye of the Cyclops. It's a fairly sort of, it's a very exciting, but slightly disgusting graphic scene. And then I also picked, because we had one in the house, the full Bible, including the Apocrypha, Getting technical here, that's the house I grew up in. Nobody was religious, we did have religious books sitting around. And so I found in the Apocrypha, so admittedly not part of the Bible, but it was a part that's sort of, you know, it's considered a piece of literature and was around, it's been around for about a thousand years. A scene where they cut off John the Baptist's head and give it on a silver platter, and it's again pretty disgusting. And my argument is, I'm forced to read one of these at school. Well, not forced, but I have to read one of these things at school, which is meant to be good for you. And this other thing is part of the Christian faith. I mean, okay, so the Apocrypha has been taken out of the Bible, but the point is, these are considered fine on your bookshelf. Why are these graphic scenes of violence fine, but the things you've taken out of context aren't? And by the way, I'm a hardworking student, I'm a you know, loving son, and so on and so forth. And it got published! It got published. I always remember, I was sort of waiting for my mother to come back from the... I mean, nowadays this is all online, but, you know, back in the 80s. And I was sort of remembering my mother was going to go out and see if it was in the in the local newspaper, the Ealing Gazette. And she came back and she had a huge pile in her hands. And I still have copies of these. In the end, we went backwards and forwards a couple of times. The newspaper allowed it to run a couple of times. And Reverend Saywood, he had his response. And then I had a final response, as it were. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. 
But yeah, I think he was rather taken aback by the fact that there was like a 13-year-old boy who was articulate enough to challenge his, his preconceptions. I never met him. I think he's passed away now. I held him absolutely no ill will whatsoever. But I guess this is something that's always been part of me. Know what you're talking about. Okay, I am more than happy to be proven wrong. You know, when I, when I say a thing in this podcast or in any situation, somebody comes up with facts and evidence, say, actually, Jamie, you got that wrong. And probably they're not beating me around the head. Went, I think you're fine. You're actually wrong about that. It's like at the moment, there's a guy who I was pretty sure it was one thing. He said it was another thing. I said, you're pretty wrong. And he backed down and I've now done the research and I'm wrong. And I can't wait to see this person again to say, I'm really sorry. I was wrong about that. You're right. Apologies. I'm that kind of person. But what I don't like is tourists. I've got a feeling or I'm going to jump into this topic for two minutes and I've got a couple of facts and they're facts that everybody in that area knows, and then I'm going to compound the facts with loads of lies. Those are the sorts of people I think are terrible human beings, okay? Oh my. Sorry, sorry about that. I was at the edges of this hysteria back in the 1980s, and this really reminded me of the hysteria that we had about witch hunts. Now, I'm not going to go into the misuse of the term witch hunt by various politicians nowadays, okay? Instead, I'm going to talk about the unfounded fears around Dungeons & Dragons were exactly the same thing unfounded fears around witches. How do you know she is a witch? She looks like one! Bring her forward! And there's a misreading about the history of witch trials. Lots of people think they're medieval. They weren't. They, they arrived basically around the same time as the Protestant Reformation, when prior to the Protestant Reformation, there was already a boogeyman in Europe, and that was the heretic. What is a heretic? It's somebody who believes in Christianity, but doesn't believe in it in the right way. And obviously, prior to the Reformation, when you have one Western European hub, I'm aware there are other versions of Christianity, for example, the Orthodox Christians to the East. And what's interesting is those two churches were part of the same church up until the 11th century. Then they had what's known as the Great Schism, and there were attempts to try and patch it up ever since. But for a while, they just sort of were a bit sad about the separation. But even they, a few centuries later, were beginning to see each other's churches as heretical. Yeah, you're Christian, but you're not Christian enough. Or you don't believe it in quite the way we do. And so the idea of the heretic is really what we get something like the Inquisition about. Um, we've all heard of the Inquisition, particularly the Spanish Inquisition. Amongst our weaponry are such diverse elements as fear, surprise, ruthless vigilance, and almost fanatical devotion to the Pope and nice red uniform. And they were a real thing where priests would travel round a country or an area to root out heresy. And it was an absolutely horrible thing. And it was kind of hysterical because if you were charged with heresy, you would have a court case, but it's very much loaded against you. It's not a court case in the modern sense where both parties were heard with equal levels of interest. I love a fair trial. And representation. And pretty much every rule you could think of. There wasn't as much torture and execution as people think there was, okay? I will give the Inquisition that. However, <laughs> putting that to one side, you could be locked up until you confessed. No trial whatsoever. I mean, that is against the law, and it is, you know, you could be locked up. Not necessarily tortured, you might have been, but let's face it, it's much more effective to just shove somebody in a cell in solitary confinement and maybe feed them once a week, and they'll pretty quickly crack. That's kind of what the Inquisition was like. But they were never worried about witches. They were always worried about heretics. And one of the easiest ways to get out of it, and this is where you get the hysteria spread, if they've come to town and 
you have been accused, one of the ways where you're statistically likely to get away with it with your life, okay? You know, execution was very rare. However, you were probably going to lose everything you owned. Your house, your business, whatever, because you're a heretic, you don't, you're not obliged to have any of these things. And therefore, one of the ways that you might hold on to something is say, oh, oh, you think I'm a heretic? What about Sally next door? She's definitely a heretic. I've seen her have a cross upside down or something. And you would just start spreading. So there'd be like this infection of heresy, which of course meant that the Inquisitor would then wipe out a huge amount of the, you know, usually landed gentry. People couldn't care less about the, the peasants. They just didn't have anything worth nicking. If I'm going down, I'm going to take my enemy with me. And, and this was a horrible fear that infested Europe pretty much up until the Reformation. From round about the 1100s to round about the 1500s, the Inquisition was a thing. However, saying that, though, the last person that was actually prosecuted by the Inquisition was in the 1800s in Spain. They were a teacher, they were a deist rather than a Christian. So we're talking into the 1800s, the Inquisition's a thing. And nowadays they do exist. They've been sort of folded into another part of the, the Catholic Church. They are in charge of doctrine, making sure that, that you know, doctrinal faith is adhered to, okay? Nobody gets burnt anymore. And the interesting thing is, heretics were burnt at the stake. Joan of Arc, famously, was also burnt at the stake because she was tried as and found guilty as a heretic. The infallible church subsequently changed their mind and realized she was a saint, but that same church was the one who burnt her. You didn't chop the heads off heretics. Weirdly, the burning was meant to do you a favor. Because what you're meant to do, meant to do, is basically once you're tied to that post, you're going to die. So they would come up to you and say, would you like to confess your sins? And if you did, you'd basically be strangled. You'd be very quickly dispatched, but your body would still be tied to the stake. So look, being burnt to death is a slow, painful, horrifying way to die. Strangulation is a bit quicker and easier. So... The idea was, if you confess your sins, you're now going to go to heaven. Great. But just to make doubly sure, we're going to burn your body. Because obviously, as a Christian, you needed a Christian burial. Cremation is against Christianity. The theory is, and this is a wonderful theory, is the all-powerful God, when it comes to the Day of Judgment, those who are dead and buried will rise again and go up to heaven. But those who are cremated, God can't resurrect you. You're kind of, you've just destroyed yourself. So God can't, the all-powerful God that created the universe can't reconstitute, can raise dead bodies, you know, skeletons from like 2,000 years ago, fine, but a burnt body, no, it's beyond God's capabilities. It's very important that you die holding towels. Have the priests not been passing this along? It's very important. Makes no sense when you start thinking about it. A lot of religious stuff doesn't make sense when you start thinking about it, but anyway, by burning your body, smoke rises, doesn't it? So maybe, just maybe, they're sending your body up to heaven. You confess your sins, but even if you haven't confessed your sins, maybe we're doing you a favor by burning your body and possibly that kind of gets you into the edges of heaven and then you're on your own, mate. And I think that's a wonderfully perverse way of doing somebody a favor. As the search for heretics died out, the search for witches became a much bigger thing. And for the record, witches were not always women. Yes, quite often they were women. The vast majority were. But, you know, significant amounts of men were also caught up in this. And invariably, they were healers. There's the thing about, you know, an awful lot of midwives, you know, sort of older women who knew how to help younger women through childbirth. They were quite often tried as, as witches. And again, like the perverse thing about burning people, this whole thing about water is also, there's a kind of perverse logic to it. So, logically, if 
She weighs the same as a duck. She's made of wood. And therefore... A witch! A witch! Most people know what they would do is once you're tried as a witch, they would sort of tie you up and throw you into the river. And if you drowned, you were innocent. But better safe than sorry was the basic attitude. However, if you floated, that means you were a witch. And there's a marvellous scene in Monty Python and the Holy Grail about this stuff. Anyway, so the point is, if you floated, you're clearly a witch using witchcraft. But here's the kicker. You throw a human being into water, they invariably go, huh? And basically your lungs act like two huge balloons of air you're always going to float. But there was a reason. There was actually a religious reason behind it because what would happen is that pool or river, before you were thrown into it, it was blessed. It became holy water. So if you can't sink in it, that's clearly the holy water rejecting your impure, unholy body. This spread throughout Europe and obviously famously went into America as well. You've got the Salem witch trials. But, but what's interesting is the Salem witch trials, these people weren't burnt at the stake. That's, again, what you did with heretics. That's a sort of later bit of imagery and metaphor. They were either hanged or they were either executed, beheaded, that kind of thing, mainly hanged. There's a lot of misreading about that. Also, if we're going to talk about outbreaks of witchiness, the stuff that was happening out there in Salem was no big thing. In a way, in a way, the witch trials were, you know, like all the other hysteria, they've kind of been misremembered. People were not constantly living in fear of witch trials. They were pretty rare, like the biggest one in Britain. We're talking about maybe 20, 30 people involved in it. It wasn't like thousands of people were being rounded up all the time. It wasn't a good thing, but please don't think I am defending, you know, the murdering of innocent people because of backwards beliefs. Absolutely not. But it wasn't perhaps as quite a big a deal during these eras as you would have thought. However, ingeniously, the Germans being German and practical about this, they, they too were rounding up witches as well. And in the 1620s, they created the Drudenhaus. What is the Drudenhaus? Well, it's the world's only purpose-built witch prison. I guess it's like Azkaban in Harry Potter. But this is a genuine place in Germany that could house a bit over a dozen witches at any given point, uh, both male and female, obviously. And it was, if you look at the plans, it was laid out like a basic prison. So for starters, as a human being, you're going to find it difficult to get out of there. But what made it a particularly witchy or anti-witchy type prison? The answer was various excerpts from the Bible were painted and scratched onto the wall. Because, of, obviously, if you were in cahoots with evil and Satan, then that might sort of, A, stop Satan helping you break out, and B, might actually cause you some physical pain while you're near it. And I, I guess it, it worked because nobody escaped. However, it wasn't around for very long because it was built in the 1620s, which was at the height of something called the Thirty Years' War. It was a very brutal war, kind of started as Catholic versus Protestant. It got more complicated than that, but that was the broad brushstrokes at the time. And pretty much every power in Europe was involved. And to give you an idea... This was the most destructive war to have ever afflicted Germany. You'd think that would be World War II, but, you know, World War II was kind of really only caused damage to Germany for about five years. It caused a lot of damage. But the Thirty Years' War is, is 
probably the most vicious war in European history. There are acts of cannibalism, there are massacres going on, there are still witch hunts happening. It was an absolutely horrible time. And one of the casualties of this was the Druden House. It was destroyed during the Thirty Years' War. So it, it didn't last very long. And yet it became kind of infamous and there are sort of like lots of drawings of it at the time. I guess there was a fascination about this. This shows you there's always been this sort of human herd mentality that when there's something scary out there we don't quite understand, we panic and we start attacking it. And we can see that to this day. And if you like, there is kind of a, a happy ending to all this because Dungeons and Dragons... Let's fast forward to the 21st century. All those kids, like me, who grew up with these sorts of games, recognise them for what they are. They're fun. They're good. And, you know, they've seeped into the consciousness. There was an episode of Futurama that had Dungeons and Dragons. So it's all come down to this. A dungeon and dragons. Been in The Simpsons. It's been in Community. Shouldn't there be a board or some pieces or something to Jenga? No, no, this is a role-playing game. There are loads of different things out there that sort of reference Dungeons and Dragons and assume you know it. And actually the reality is nowadays it's advanced Dungeons and Dragons rather than Dungeons and Dragons and it all gets a bit confusing. But bottom line, it's the same basics game and there are loads of other ones. Like I said, I talked about the Merp Middle-Earth role-playing. I actually collected... There was... It's got to be out of print now, but there was a Star Wars role-play game. There was an Alien role-play game. I've got those upstairs in the loft somewhere. There was uh, Judge Dredd role-play, pretty much anything. Perhaps one of my favourite ones was Paranoia, which was kind of set in just a dystopia, and it was going, but you know, kind of like a 1984 type thing, but it was meant to be hilarious, funny. And like one of the things you could do is get superpowers. So you could like, oh, oh, by the way, there were loads of superhero roleplay games. But one of my favorite gags was, you know, with this special belt, you'll be able to run 10 times faster than an average human. And it's like, oh, I'm definitely going to use that. And the thing about paranoia is because it was about trying to kill the party as often as possible. Everybody had, I think it was nine lives because you are going to die in paranoia. And what I always remember with the leg thing, my friend Richard sort of like was the, he was like the games master for that one. I put on the belt and I showed off my ability of running fast. He went, yeah, human legs aren't designed to run 10 times faster. Your legs have fallen off. You have died from bleeding. It's sort of like... Ah, right, okay. So it was that kind of game. Anyway, I digress. But the point is, those kids of the 1970s and 80s are now the parents of the 2000s and beyond. And yeah, so, for example, my eldest son's form teacher, so this is the guy he's going to have, like my son's going to have throughout his secondary education. He is a bit like me, and he plays tabletop games, and to this day he plays Dungeons and Dragons, and his school has a, a Dungeons and Dragons group that sort of formally meet up and play. And you get something like outside Xbox. There we go. A little, little plug there for a YouTube channel, which I watch all the time. In theory, they stopped doing the day job, okay? You should be reviewing Xbox games, okay? And video games. But they've shown the joys of roleplay. And they've actually got large groups either watching it online or indeed watching it live. And you can see it's just a raucous time. It's just fun. And that's the point of a game. It's meant to be fun. Stepping into video games for a moment, you can clearly see if you've played anything like Skyrim or Wit. Or anything like that, Fallout. This idea of character design, leveling up and all this kind of stuff is now just a standard thing in things like video games. 
but it all comes from the role-playing element of Dungeons and Dragons, which all sort of kicked off in the 1970s. It's now become part of society. Nobody complains about Dungeons and Dragons anymore. There is no conversation about, should we ban this? The conversation now is, which one should we play? And if you like, this sort of hysteria has now moved on to other things like the internet or video games, for example. I remember the big thing in 1980s about how much violence there was in TV and movies. That isn't talked about anymore. It's now about how much violence there is in video games. But again, if you strip away the hysteria, this thing about Grand Theft Auto for a moment, one senator in America has famously referred to it as a murder simulator. It really isn't, okay? Rock and roll has got to go. And go it does at KWK. Now you're kind of playing it wrong if you're doing it that way. You know, it has missions. Sometimes those missions are devilishly hard. Remember Vice City and the god-awful remote-control helicopter stage? Oh, that was so annoying. Anyway, my point is... The hysteria is always there. Like I said, it could be witches, it could be heretics, it could be Dungeons and Dragons, and nowadays it's video games. But if you look at the stats, well, one of the biggest selling video games of all time is Grand Theft Auto V. And if it genuinely was something that destroyed people's brains and turned them into maniacs, we would have seen a huge spike in violence. And no, no, absolutely not. That's not what's happened. Also, things like suicide rates, for example, it's been proven that they're actually lower in people who play role-play games in their teenage years than the ones who don't. We talk about toxic masculinity. I am so not that kind of guy, okay? Like I say, me and my friends would happily have sand kicked in our faces if we could then go and play role-play games for an afternoon or a Saturday afternoon or something like that, or during lunch break. I never got into that whole toxic masculinity thing. If you like, it insulated it from me. Instead, I was interested in the games and the rules. And again, my eldest son, he just loves pouring through the rule books, particularly of this competitive tabletop game. And just last night, for example, he grinned at me when I think I found another way to break the game. Now, what he means by that is nobody's thought to add this rule with this rule with this rule. And when you combine those three rules, I'm basically impossible to kill or I get ridiculous bonuses. So not actually cheating, but like playing the game in a way that people hadn't necessarily thought to play it to gain an advantage. Now, some people would go, that's really annoying. And yes, he can be, but, but he gets real joy from it. And there's absolutely a group of people who find fun tinkering things around. This is why you get updates on video games, because there are people doing literally that with video games. It's, oh, I wasn't expecting that. And also you get the FAQs on things like the game he's playing or Dungeons and Dragons and so on and so forth, because the people who made the games sort of like get lots of feedback from the fans saying, oh, are you aware of this and you aware of that? It's like sometimes they're not powerful enough or sometimes this just always breaks and it's like, oh, well, we need to change that. We need to fix that rule. So it's a genuine community. Sadly, it's far more male orientated than female orientated. I would encourage regardless of you being a guy or girl out there, I'd really recommend you have a look at at least some of these things. The tabletop games with the miniatures, what's nice about those is you build them, then you paint them, and then you play the game with them. And so I've got two boys who rather than running home and playing video games all the time, which they still do, but they'll sometimes run home and they can't wait to paint. Now, how often do you get to have that in a 21st century family household, eh? And on a Friday night when we all go to the local shop, Games Workshop, my 10-year-old, 
that's his favourite night of the week, because for that night, this 10-year-old is treated the same as all the adults around the board. And he has sometimes trashed everybody else. At one point, he beat them in 45 minutes into a game that should have taken more like two, two and a half hours, and everybody looked around and went, well, that's our Friday evening stopped. And like, what should we do? Well, let's keep playing. Let's pretend that didn't happen. But for the record, yes, this 10-year-old beat that entire row of adults over there. Well done, you. Deliberately not using names, just to protect the innocent, etc. So, my point is, it's a fun pastime. There is nothing bad about it, or no more bad than watching TV. The thing about both video games and also roleplay games and these tabletop games is, unlike a book, it isn't a passive experience, or a TV show, or a movie. Because, as famously sort of put in by Daro Brian in one of his comedy routines, but it's absolutely true, a book does not shut after the first chapter and say to you, all right, okay, do you understand everything that's going on right now? Do you understand the themes and the character development and where this is going? And if you didn't successfully finish that quiz, it doesn't let you read chapter two. But that's exactly how a video game or indeed any of these other games work. If you're not good enough, or if you're unlucky with your dice rolls, you die. You have to start again. You have to reload the video game. There is perseverance involved in this. this. This idea that kids today just want instant gratification. Well, I think human beings always want instant gratification. But you try playing Dungeons & Dragons campaign, which can last, let's say, three-hour sessions over an entire month. Well, that's not instant gratification, is it? But you have so much fun doing it. It's even being shown in things like Stranger Things, for example. Which harks back to the 80s, but shows you this kind of the joy and camaraderie that the game can absolutely create. So I'm going to stop there now as a bit of a plug there for numerous different games. Please do give these a go, but also think about the hysteria. Think, think about, it does seem to be a sad part of human faith. If I don't quite understand it, I'm scared of it and maybe I'm going to hit it or tell it to go away or try and ban it. I'm sure we've all had that knee-jerk reaction at some point, but look into the facts and not just the hysterical person shouting out of your TV would be my last word of warning on that one. So always, please do continue the conversation. Maybe you want to share your role-play stories with me. I'm at Jem Daduchu if you want to talk to me on that. And I have actually posted some of my uh, Games Workshop figures that I've painted and I'm kind of proud of. You might want to have a look at those. Thank you very much for listening. More coming your way soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. 